0: Good morning. It is good to see everyone. If you uh, brought a Bible with you this morning, then uh, please open it to the Gospel of John. We're back in John, so I have the honor and privilege once again of leading you through uh, our time in John's Gospel, John chapter 8, to be specific. Um, we are back in our series, See, Believe, and Live, and uh, we are in the middle of John 8. I'm going to read from verse 12 down to verse 30, and then we will take some time to work our way through the passage. I'll do some prayer, and then uh, we'll be done today. John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I came from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. But it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says where I'm going, you cannot come. I have much to say to you about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority. But speak just as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. As He was saying these things, many believed in Him. Let's pray together. Lord, send your light and your truth so that we may follow you and not walk in darkness but to have the light of life. Lord, may it be true of us in this place what it was said of those who heard Jesus. Many believed in him. Let us hear your words. Let us see the beauty of the Son of God And let us turn from our wicked ways, from the idols of our heart, and place our trust in you alone. Do this for Jesus' sake. Amen. I've become almost obsessed with a particular variety of viral videos. It's the one where... Colorblind people put on those Enchroma glasses. Have you seen these? Um, sometimes it's a, it's, a, it's a parent putting on a glasses for the first time and seeing the color of their baby's eyes. My favorite is one of a large, burly man, probably in his 50s, and uh, he's on the back porch of his home, and it's his birthday, and he's enduring his family, singing happy birthday to him, and taking pictures. And after they're done singing, he opens his birthday present from his wife, and he's confused to see a pair of sunglasses. At his wife's bidding, he puts the glasses on, and for the first time, shades of, of gray are, are flooded with color. Balloons and trees and flowers. He keeps taking them off and putting them back on and making... Um, Making making uh, comments about what he sees, and this late fifties big burly man, tears are streaming down his cheeks, and he's swinging his arms like a boy on Christmas. Have you seen the ones where the uh, a, de- a deaf person is is fitted with special hearing aid, and they hear for the first time? Have you seen the ones where a A baby is crying because it's getting fitted and messed with and then as soon as it's turned on, the baby hears her mama's voice for the first time and she stops mid-cry. I watch these videos and I cry almost every single time. And I wonder why is it that those videos, when someone sees color for the first time and hears noise, hears music for the first time, a husband hears his wife's voice for the first time, why is it that those videos affect us so much? If you're a Christian, I think you know the answer. Seeing color in a world of muddied gray and hearing the voice of those you love most for the first time is a fraction of that glorious thing which your God has done for you when you placed your trust in Jesus. God healed your spiritual blindness and opened your eyes to see the beauty in his son for the first time. He opened your ears to hear the voice of the one your soul has loved for the first time. We're moved by stories like this because in a way they are our story, going from gray to color, from silence to an orchestra of sound, from death to life, from darkness to light. And that is a story of every person who has been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. If that is not your story, my unbelieving friend, I pray that it would become your story today. I pray that as we read again the word of God from John chapter 8, that God may open your eyes and open your ears and you would see and hear for the first time the sights and sounds of the glory of the God of the Bible, as so many in this room have. If I were to summarize the passage in one sentence, it would be this. You can have that. You see this in in your handout. Unless we see and believe and follow the Lord Jesus as Savior... Sent from God, we will die in our sins. I have four points this morning. The first point is found in verse 12. Jesus is the light of the world. John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Gospel writer John is a masterful author, and he sort of paints the backdrop of this passage. Uh, From chapter 7, we learn that the Lord is teaching these things while he's outside the temple during the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles was a joyous time for God's people where they celebrated what God had done for them as he led them through the wilderness, Uh, The Bible teaches that God had delivered Israel out of slavery in Egypt in through the wilderness for 40 years. They followed a cloud by day and a fire by night. And whenever the cloud moved, the people moved. They knew God's presence was with them so long as they could see the light of the cloud. And they would celebrate this every year in the Feast of Tabernacles, we learn in John 8:20 20, verse 20 that Jesus is teaching these things to the people during this time of the year. In a part of Jerusalem, or part of outside the temple, called the Treasury. Now the Treasury is also known as the Court of Women. It was a large open area outside the temple. And in Jesus' day, the, the Treasury area, there were these four large pillars that Herod the Great had built for the Jewish people. There, uh, there were these four large pillars, and on top of these pillars were these candelabras that they would light during the Feast of Tabernacles. In remembrance of the, the the light that God had used to lead them through the wilderness. They were meant to remind Israel how God had led them by cloud by day, fire by night. And so with the pillars lit and the light of the fire casting its light across the temple grounds and sort of dancing off the temple building itself, the Lord announces these words. I am the light. Of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It was a staggering claim, rich in symbolism. It would not have been lost on a crowd commemorating Israel following a cloud of fire through the wilderness. Light is one of those great biblical images of God's salvation. It's a thread woven throughout Scripture. From the opening pages of the Bible, God speaks into the darkness, let there be light. To the very last pages of the Bible, for the eternal city that will come, it it is told that the Lord God is the light in that city. God often communicates himself through the image of light breaking into and shattering darkness. We see this throughout the scripture. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, often read around Christmas time. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. King David sang in Psalm 27 The Lord is my light and my salvation. Even the Apostle John opens this gospel with these lines. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The Bible teaches through mankind's rebellion against God, sin had cast the world into a terrible, tragic darkness. And the plight of every man and every woman is that of the first man and the first woman. Preferring sin preferring sin over God and driven from God into a dark and cold world barred forever from the presence of God. Ephesians 2.12 puts it succinctly, without hope and without God in the world. Such is your condition, my unbelieving friend. Enslaved to sin? Sin? Lost in darkness, blinded to your own condition. The God of this world has blinded your mind to keep you from seeing the glorious light of the gospel. What a Christian sees as precious, you see as foolish. And yours, my friend, is a world of darkness and ignorance and folly it is a is a world without light and without color and without sound but there's good news to you good news to us all as dark as sin has made this world god has shined his light into our dark world through his son jesus christ and those who are trusting in christ god has opened their eyes to see the light of the glory of the gospel he has broke the power of the enemy. He has healed our blindness. He has healed our deafness. He has made us to see and made us to hear. There's an old hymn that says it well. All the world in darkness lay. Sin's dark night had banished day. Till he came, eternal light, scattering doom, dispelling night. God, in his immeasurable grace, reached down into the dark, sin-wrecked world and gave his life to dead hearts. He made us see the light. He gave us a mind to know him, to think rightly, to hear his voice. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, your world of black and dark gray has become a world of of deep color, deep, rich shades of God's glorious presence. And you who follow Christ have the light of life. In the same way that God led Israel through the wilderness by cloud, And by fire, God leads his people through the wilderness and darkness of this life. And Jesus is saying in John 8, verse 12, that he is the light of the world. He is the embodiment of the glory cloud of God. He is that light that led God's people through the wilderness. Notice when we follow Jesus, Jesus says, We have Jesus. I am the light. Whoever follows me has the light. The only way anyone receives the light of life is by seeing something precious in Christ and joining themselves to him, following his lead, following his will, following his commandments. And whoever follows him has him, has the life, has the light. We touched on this a little bit last week, but to be a Christian means to turn away from a life of sin and to turn toward God. It means to delight in Christ more than anything else. It means to have the deepest longing of your heart to follow Jesus, to live your life in a way that brings Him glory, a manner of life that is worthy of His name. Repentance involves turning away from sin and turning toward God in faith. I'll say again to you what I said to you last week. There is no salvation without turning away from sin. You cannot turn toward God without turning away from sin. Turning toward God in faith means turning away from sin. Now, of course, you understand that that doesn't mean that a Christian has a life that is without sin. But it does mean, of course, that a Christian has a life without the love of sin. A Christian hates his or her sin, wages war against his or her sin. The alignment of their life is toward Christ, toward following Him. And in so doing, he or she has the light of life. And for those who do not follow the light of Christ, who are trusting in themselves, who are trusting in a religion, they do not have the light. They do not see. They cannot see. And such was the case, the sad case of the Pharisees. Verse 13 and following. So the Pharisees said to Jesus, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus said, well, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. But you don't know where I came from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For I, it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I'm the one who bears witness about myself and the father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Perhaps they were thinking of Joseph. Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, then you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. In his commentary on John chapter 8, Richard Phillips points out, unbelief never runs out of objections and never has enough proof. Jesus had given the Pharisees plenty of reasons to believe that he was the Christ. He had healed sick people. He had fed hungry people. He had demonstrated an inhuman understanding of God and of the scriptures. He had an authority to command scripture like no one else. Yet they refused to believe him, and so they objected. You can't testify about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Unbelief, however it's expressed, it takes the same shape. It rejects Jesus on the basis that Jesus doesn't act like or talk like we expect him to or want him to. The Pharisees rejected Jesus because he didn't align himself with them. He claimed that he was above them. He claimed to have authority over them. And he called out their sin and contradicted them. And Jesus says, you're judging me according to the flesh. You're judging according to human standards, according to human sensibilities. I'm thankful for Pastor Tim Keller's warning that if our God never contradicts us or never says anything that we don't like, then we're not actually serving God, but we're serving a God of our own making. Just an idealized version of ourselves. Well, 2,000 years later, little has changed, Cornerstone. In Jesus' day, he was rejected because he didn't fit into people's expectations And in our day, the Bible is rejected because it doesn't suit modern sensibilities and modern moral tastes. We can't stomach a God who cares more for His glory than for our self-expression and happiness. The Enlightenment has taught us, 100 years ago, that the sovereign God of this universe is not in heaven but inside us. Therefore, no one, not even God, has the right to tell me what is right or wrong, what is good from bad. Things are right because I deem them right. My non-Christian friend, perhaps it is time that you would be honest about your conclusions. There is no God because you aren't him. Well the Pharisees rejection of of Jesus and the modern man's rejection of oh, Jesus it's of the same substance it's a refusal to recognize his divine origins therefore his divine authority you see because if Jesus came from God then he has the right to tell us what to do if Jesus came from God then he's in charge he's a messenger of God he's of the same essence As God. And He carries the authority of God, which means, of course, that He can tell us what's right and wrong. He can tell us to repent. He can tell us we are in sin. But, like the Pharisees, and like today's rejection of Christ, our love of sin has kept us from turning toward Him. We would rather hold our sin than we would release our sin and trust in Christ. Once a colleague of Sir Isaac Newton came to the professor and asked him to discuss why he was having trouble believing in Jesus Christ as Newton had believed. And the brilliant physicist told his friend, Sometimes I come into my study and in my absent-mindedness, I attempt to light my candle when there's an extinguisher over it. And I fumble about trying to light it, but cannot But when I remove the extinguisher, then I'm able to light the candle. I'm afraid the extinguisher, in your case, is the love of your sins. It is deliberate unbelief that is in you. Turn to God in repentance. Be prepared to let the Spirit of God reveal His truth to you. And it will be His joy to show the glory of the grace of God shining in the face of Jesus Christ. And so I wonder, what extinguisher have you placed over the candle in your life? Might it also be a love of sin that keeps you from believing in the gospel? Might it be an objection to the Bible has more to do with you not wanting it to be true than with it actually being true? Well, whatever your reason, and I'm sure you have a reason, your reason is not good enough to endure what the Lord says next. Here comes some heavy words. Verse 21. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sins. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says where I'm going, you can't come. He said to them, you're from below, I'm from above. You're of this world, I'm not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. Notice my friend, At the beginning of this passage, the Lord said, I am the light of the world. That definite article is in the original, and it is a very important little definite article. The Lord did not say, I am a light in the world. I am among the lights in the world. If there is any light in the world, I am the light of the world. There is only one. Means, if you don't have Jesus, you're in darkness. And there are implications of this darkness. And they are grave. Physical death and spiritual death. Verse 21, I am going away. You will seek me and you will die in your sins. After Jesus had returned to his father, The Pharisees went on looking for their Messiah. Looking for their Savior. And they couldn't find him because he had already come. They went looking for him and they didn't find him. And in their looking, and in their searching for a Savior apart from Jesus Christ, they died in their sins. This is true of us. There is no savior apart from Jesus Christ. All other saviors will lead to death. There is no savior that will save you from your sins. Where I go, Jesus says, you cannot come. Jesus is going to the Father. Without Christ, you can't go to the Father. the crowd is confused by this statement they thought that he said he was going to kill himself so lest there be any confusion in in, in this crowd let me just be clear unless you see and believe and trust in Jesus Christ as the only savior from sin you will die in your sins and be banned from heaven eternally you can't go to heaven heaven is only a a place that you can be brought to And the only way to be brought to heaven is in Christ. Verse 24 is about as clear as it can be. Unless you believe I am he, you will die in your sin. That is a heavy verse. A heavy statement from the Lord. But notice, if you will, there's also tremendous hope in that verse. Of course, he's saying if you don't believe, you will die in your sins, which, which is also to say that if you do believe, you will not die in your sins. If you believe in Jesus Christ, your sins will be washed away. Now, it's critical to note the object of your belief. What are you believing in? Well, not what, but who, right? Unless you believe that I am he. Actually, the word he doesn't appear in the original Greek. That was added by the translators for clarity. Verse 24 literally literally reads, unless you believe I am, you will die in your sins. It's the same thing in verse 28. Skip down to verse 28. He is added in that verse. Literally, it reads When you have lifted up the Son of Man, you will know I am. Which is tremendously significant. Lord willing, we'll see why in a couple of weeks. The point is this the object of the faith of a Christian is a person, not a creed, not a confession. A person, God the Son, Jesus Christ. What saves you from the wrath of God is trusting in the Son of God. We must believe in Him. If you have believed in Jesus, you will not die with your sins. Your sins will die without you. By sending his son to the cross, almighty God satisfied the punishment for your sins. They are no longer. They have been forgiven. The penalty has been paid. Well, this heavy statement prompts the, qu- the, the crowd to ask, who, who are you? To make such a claim, who are you? Well, it's a great question. Who is he? It's the most important question you'll ever answer. And your answer will determine your eternity. Who is Jesus of Nazareth? Last point, verse 27 to 30. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. As He was saying these things, many believed in Him. They did not understand that he had been talking to them about God the Father. How their prejudice had blinded them. But the Bible teaches that unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And how tragic it is that a person like the Pharisees, who knew the Scriptures would have the very fulfillment of those scriptures standing before them and not recognize Him. And equally tragic it is that a man or a woman can sit under clear gospel preaching for their entire lives and not really trust in Jesus Christ. Until a man turns and trusts in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of his sins, he will not be saved. Jesus said to the Pharisees in verse 28, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. By lifted up, Jesus is referring to the cross. In just a few short months after this passage, Jesus will be beaten, spit on, and nailed to a cross, and lift it up for everyone to see. And while his enemies didn't know it at the time, the light of the world would cast its greatest beam of light into the darkness when they sent him to the cross. As they tried to snuff out the light by killing him, in his death, the light of his glory would shine brightest. The cross of Jesus Christ is the center of the Christian message. The cross of Christ is the blazing center of God's glory demonstrated to the universe. Jesus' cross is the proof of his life and the proof of his message. It is the proof of his divine origin. It is proof of his divine nature. It is proof of his authority. The cross is proof that Jesus is God. When you have lifted me up, you will know I am. You will know that I do nothing on my own authority. You will know that I speak only what God has sent me to say. You will know that God is always with me. You will know that everything that I do, I do not for myself, but to please the Father. The cross is the proof of that. Jesus will later say in the Gospel of John that no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. When Jesus went to the cross, he went to the cross in obedience to his Father. Do you know who killed Jesus? It wasn't the Pharisees. It wasn't the crowd who said, crucify him, crucify him. It wasn't your sin. It wasn't mine. Cornerstone, listen. God killed Jesus Christ. Romans 8:32. God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Acts 2:23. This Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. This is clear in Isaiah 53. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. God has put him to grief. Our sin demanded the justice of God's wrath, and God chose not to pour His wrath out on you, Christian, but instead gave His own Son and laid on Him the iniquities of your sin. God killed His Son for you and me. Calvary was the ultimate act of Christ's submission to His Father's will. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. Jesus laid himself on the altar of sacrifice. God held the knife. And Jesus was crushed under the weight of your sin. Jesus was crushed under the weight of your pride. Jesus was crushed under the weight of your lust. Jesus was crushed under the weight of the careless words that you speak. Jesus was crushed under the weight of your snippy little statement to your wife when you're frustrated. Jesus was crushed under the weight every single time you turn away from your spouse and turn to something else for validation. Jesus was crushed under the weight of your greed. Jesus was crushed under the weight of every time that you don't give yourself generously in time and money. Withhold for yourself. Jesus was crushed under the weight of every time you trust in something other than him. God placed on his own son the penalty of your sin. He did that on his own accord. Do you see why? Unless you believe in Jesus, you will die in your sin. He is the only worthy payment for sin. Do you see how offensive it is to God who did not spare his own son to save you when you trust in someone or something other than Christ? In light of what God has done for you in offering up his son for you and you trust in something else, can you see how offensive that is? It's not just a tiny little sin, friend. It is rebellion and treason against God who killed his own son on your behalf. Sin is no small thing. Only Jesus could satisfy the wrath of God. Only Jesus paid the price. And unless you believe in Jesus as your Savior, sin from God, You will die in your sins. There is no other Savior. There is no other payment. There is no other satisfaction for the wrath of God. Friends, when you're trusting in Jesus Christ and following Him, your sins are forgiven and you have the light of life. You will not die, but you will live forever in Christ with God totally for you? And so my call upon all of us this morning is to look to the cross. See the Son of Man lifted up, obedient to His Father's will, and believe that He is I Am. He is God from God. He is the only Savior from sin, and by trusting in Him alone and by following Him, you will have the light of life and it will be for you as it is for so many others in this room as if the world of muddied gray becomes deep colors and you will see for the first time ta- first time and you will hear sounds like a newborn baby hearing her mother for the first time you will hear the voice of your creator in his word the one who has loved you since before time began Turn to Him. Have Him heal your blindness and your deafness. If you have never looked to the cross, my unbelieving friend, if you have never confessed your need for a Savior, if you have never repented of your sins, I pray you do that today. Look to the cross. Turn away from a life of sin and follow Jesus. Your eyes will be opened, your ears will be opened. You will see and hear beauties you have never before imagined. If you've never done that before, I would love to sit down with you. I would love to talk with you. And maybe God may be pleased to give you your own pair of enchroma glasses and allow you to see color and light for the first time. Let's pray. Father, you have sent your light. And your truth. May we follow that light and that truth to the cross where you shed your Son's blood for our sin. Lord, if there is anyone in this room who has never trusted in Christ, I pray that you would. Change their heart. Allow them to see the false Saviors they're trusting in and to turn to Christ in repentance. To confess their need for Jesus and to believe in Him and to be saved. For those who are trusting in Christ, would you embolden us in our witness? to live a life worthy of the Son of God, to follow Him wherever He leads so that Your glory and the beauty of the message of the gospel would be dispensed through Your people in their life, through their life, so that Jesus would receive the praise He is due. In Jesus' name.